have more Alabama friends than I do Auburn friends. I'm just sorry for the pain we've inflicted reminding you of that championship game 10 years ago, 2013. This is the fourth quarter. It is the last second of the game. Literally, there's one second on the clock. Special teams come out. Alabama has the ball, goes for a field goal. Didn't anticipate that they would miss the field goal and that the cornerback, Chris Davis, would pick up and catch and receive the field goal only to turn, cut towards his sideline, and skirt along the edge of that sideline over 110 yards because he was behind the zone to run for that touchdown that would meet the final score of that game in Auburn's favor, 34 to 28. What's amazing in that video is as special teams comes onto the field, if you're not familiar with football, Every single one of that team has a specific position and a specific role designed to work with the team. And a lot of times when you watch a game like that, you don't necessarily see the teamwork of it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But in this particular case, as soon as the cornerback catches the ball and starts, all the Auburn players begin to reposition themselves and circle Chris as he's running along that sideline hoping to make the touchdown. Even to the point that after he's passed Alabama, they're still kind of following along behind him and encircling him. It's like, you know, circling the wagons. I mean, they're completely around him so that nobody can get through to him so that he can get across the goal. Then ironically, his own team tackles him and jumps on him in the the fields, in the end zone. But it is that teamwork that makes a difference. It is being in cooperative relationships regardless of what our role or our position is. And all of that begins to play out in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22, where Paul has just finished this long list of different types of characteristics we have as Christians and shifts in the middle of that, that list in verse 21, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, to the cooperative nature of the church and that when he's pinning these words inspired him, the Holy Spirit inspires him to then talk about the cooperative nature of marriage. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a warning. Every single phrase in this part of Paul's writing has meaning and has significant. I don't even know how many points there are. So if you're attempting to take notes, this may be a good day to go to you version. You go to the main menu on the bottom where it says, it says other or more. I think it says more. You tap on that. You'll see events in the main menu. And you tap on events and you find First Baptist Church Tomball, which is live at this moment. Let me just say thanks to those who are on live stream for joining us. Go to that. And when you tap on that, it will give you the notes. Otherwise, be prepared to write and tap really fast because we're going to we're going to go through all of this even pastor cody questioned me on thursday he said it seems like this ought to be a two-part series i said well we're out of time we we we've only got a certain number of weeks left and then we kick off in september um a sermon series and message series and activities related to the capital campaign to build our new church and be able to start construction after the first of the year on our new church and the relocation and everything that's taking place um there's just not time 
So I'm going to do it very fast. The important part, I think that you absolutely have to understand to grasp this passage of scripture. Because honestly, this passage of scripture is misinterpreted on both sides of the team. Wives oftentimes misinterpret what this means and they think in terms of subjugation or oppression. And there have been husbands um, that I've met over the years who misinterpret and think it's all about leadership in the terms of what I get, in terms of a, in terms of a headship, a power play. Um, interestingly enough, guys, not even once in this passage of scripture does Paul tell wives to obey their husbands. Because it's a working relationship. It is a cooperative relationship. And so the word that gets us is the word submissive. I can't change the scripture. It was inspired by God. Paul wrote it 2,000 years ago. Um, I'm going to assume and trust. God still understands that we're in a different culture in a different day, but that he intends for this to work for us and our marriages. But it is, it's about working together. It is, it is about being in community and being in cooperation as husbands and wives. So verse 21 catches that transition when he tells us the church, us, the people are in a cooperative community, submitting to one another in the fear. That word fear is the word we typically use for reverence. It's a sense of honor. It's a sense of respect. In that respect, in that reverence, for Christ. So the context is we are a large team. And as a church, we effectively work the best. We effectively accomplish the most success if we are functioning cooperatively. If we're in this together and we're, we're living this way. And Paul's been talking about that all through the book of Ephesians. This new society in Christ, this new organization in Christ is a cooperative, it is a loving, it is a caring relationship based on the love that has been demonstrated by God and our forgiveness and our acceptance by him and his desire to help us move towards holiness. In that mutual cooperation, he then begins to narrow down and uses the marriage illustration to help us understand actually primarily what the relationship is like for the Christian church to its savior. And so Paul's main point here is to understand this is how the church works. But the illustration of marriage is hugely beneficial to us and that's why often we think of this in terms of marriage. In verse 22, the shift goes towards wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. The key to understanding this passage are the parallels to the church and to Jesus as our savior. There's an element of faith in this passage in verse 22. Submit to your husbands. That would be a statement in and of itself if it didn't include the next three, four words. As to the Lord. Your initial, my initial submission, the, the submission of this church to God is because he's Lord. Because he, he has the ability, has the authority to rule over us, but he does it for our benefit. And so the actual act of submission is a, is a moment of faith. 
when you believe that your husband is capable of taking care of you, when you believe your husband wants the best for you than he wants for any other thing in life. And that is a reflection of the design. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. God has designed the positions. God has designed the relationships. And that faith carries over into understanding the design. That God has a purpose. We're not randomly gathered as a church and we're not randomly together as husbands and wives. Our marriage isn't a random event. It was an intentional event on our part as well as on God's part. And so that faith accepts God's design and understands he has a reason for it. There's a purpose for it. And ultimately, that submission is reflected in trust. He is the savior of the body now as the church submits to Christ. So wives submit to their husbands. It's it's trust. When we became a follower of Christ, when we became a believer, we made a decision to trust God. We made a decision to trust Jesus. Whether it was stated in vows at a wedding ceremony or it was stated in in the love letters sent back and forth and the notes and the text and all the conversations, at some point, you had to trust your husband to care for you more than anyone else ever would. Now, I will be the first to say that trust gets violated and that trust is oftentimes difficult and oftentimes has to be rebuilt. But the concept of submission is not a sense of obedience, it's a sense of working together and that is going to require trust. And that's tough, ladies. I'm not telling you anything that I think is particularly easy. Faith is oftentimes hard. Accepting a design that is contrary to what you have heard or believed or, or want to believe is difficult. Trusting in anybody, because we've all had enough experiences in every type of relationship to know that people can't be trusted. We have a hard time with that with God. Oftentimes people struggle with faith because they have to unequivocally trust God to want the very best for them. And now we take that away from God and say, okay, ladies, trust your husband. And it's difficult. But guys, at about this point, you're maybe breathing a sigh of relief, and that's because you get the next 15 minutes. The overwhelming bulk of this passage is instructions for us. If I took this like a final exam, I will have failed every single year. I would still be in preschool as a husband if I attempted to live out this life. So I'm going to admit openly and honestly, It's aspirational. It's what I want to do. It's what I believe I should do. It's it's what motivates me and drives me to do. Even when I fail, I get up and go again. I mean, think of the Auburn-Alabama game for a second. It was devastating. In 2013, the loss of that championship was absolutely devastating. But I don't have all the stats in front of me, but let me tell you, 10 years later, Alabama is still a football force to deal with. They didn't give up. They didn't go back to the locker room and say, hey, we lost. We lost with only one second on the clock. We lost to that one, one field goal and he caught it. We lost, we couldn't get through, we couldn't tackle, we couldn't do defense because they circled up and cooperated and protected their runner. They didn't go back and say all that. They walked back and they said, 
There's another season. Let's get prepared. Let's do it again. And they have. Roll Tide has done it over and over and over again, and they'll keep doing it. So don't get frustrated and don't get overly anxious today if it feels like this is unobtainable. Because the truth is, Scripture calls us to do all kinds of things in every area of our life that are unattainable, which is why we need the power of Christ in our lives. I would say this right now. I don't often say this, but if you're not a believer in Christ, if you're a husband who has not made the decision to trust Christ, everything I'm going to say for the next 10 minutes is unattainable. There's a real sense in which you probably shouldn't even listen because you can't do this. But I have over 100%, 110% confidence that if you will relinquish and trust Christ, he can do this through us. It's that classic passage of scripture in Philippians chapter four, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And especially in marriage, guys, we need that encouragement. This is oftentimes hard. The simple command in verse 25 for us as husbands, love your wives. I wish it was that simple. But Paul uses elaborate language and elaborate faces to describe what that looks like. And what it looks like is a comprehensive love. It is not an emotion. It is not a sentiment, although all of those things are valuable and important and oftentimes difficult for us. You know, I mean, I've learned this lesson over and over again, guys. It's so hard to be sentimental. I stand there. I have stood there for hours trying to pick out a card. And I've even tried to justify it when I don't give her a card and I give her a note that says, nobody can say what I want to say. <laughs> guys, somebody needs to say something because truthfully, even if you're articulate and you're a professional speaker, it is so hard to say those things. So this is comprehensive. This is difficult. We are to be loving. We are to love our wives just as Christ loved the church. That's a tall order. That's difficult. I I will be honest with you. When I stood there on that night and Carrie's grandfather said the vows, he was a pastor here in Houston for over 50 years and, and he did our wedding. And when I looked at him and he asked me, would I be her husband? I said, I do. Because all I had in mind was picnics and Diet Coke and running with the dogs and playing and other things we won't mention while children are here. I, I did not have the best of intentions in that moment. And I definitely didn't stop and say to myself, I need to love her. I need to love her the way Jesus loves her. Because who wants to compare themselves to the love of Jesus who gave up everything for us? I, I, I know I'm not capable of that. I know I don't have that in me, which is why I need him to do it through me. I need to open myself so that I can let him love her through me. Now, there have been plenty of times over the years. We saw a great program a couple of weeks ago and we were watching it and the mother's telling the daughter the night of her wedding, it's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult, but it's worth it. Stick with it. Stay in. There have been plenty of times over the years I have prayed, Lord, help me love Carrie the way you love her. Because mine is inadequate. And as if just to drive that point home, Paul says, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. This 
comprehensive love is loving, it's sacrificial. Gave himself, gave up everything for her exaltation. We'll see that in just a second where Paul even gets to that point and says the whole church is being prepared by Jesus to be presented in eternity in full glory and full perfection. And now I'm being told to sacrifice my way of life, to sacrifice my desires, my preferences in order to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in her. Gave himself for her. There's a sense of devotion to it, and I picked that word intentionally because he gave himself for the church in order to make her holy. And I need to be a devoted husband who wants always to have the best in my wife's life come to the surface. I want to always have her best interest in mind. I need to be devoted. And again, this isn't isn't just sentiment, although sentiment is valuable. Let me keep reminding us of that. In fact, I felt kind of guilty um, when, uh, when Cody put together the bumper. I thought, of all things, we're going to talk about marriage and loving our wives, and we're going to do a football clip. So um, we'll, get a, we'll get a girls' team clip here before the series is over with and do something um, a little more maybe attractive to feminine. Although, I know a lot of women who love football players. I'm not real sure why, but they, they just do. Anyway, gave himself up for her to make her wholly, fully devoted and catalytic. Look at the next phrase. Cleansing her with the washing of water and the word. Paul's referring to the church now. He's referring to the baptism that takes place after we become a follower of Christ. And he's referring to the growth, the, we, the big word we call it is sanctification, that maturing process that comes after we've met Christ. We are committed to that. We are, we are catalytic. We are energizers. We are, we are innovators to help our wives be the best that they possibly can be. Know that they are loved deeply and sacrificially in a way that they won't experience in any other relationship. And that we are so loved that we're devoted to her and we are absolutely going to do everything within our resource to help her be who God wants her to be. There's a catalytic relationship in this, in this cooperative relationship. And then it was hard to actually pick a word, but the, the very last part of this section, Paul talks about presenting the church in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, anything like that, but holy and blameless. There's a sense of delight in God's love for the church. In this moment, we're absolutely imperfect. There is no such thing as a perfect church. There is no such thing as a church that's not hypocritical at times. There's no such thing as a church that doesn't make mistakes sometimes. There's no such thing as a teacher that occasionally doesn't get off base and teach something that maybe isn't in perfect alignment. What makes us who we are is the forgiveness. But there is a day coming when every imperfection, when every weakness when every aspect of mortality will be washed away and completely removed and we'll be standing in immortality and we will be standing in perfection, we will be standing with the full strength of God in that moment. God is preparing us, the church, his bride, for our wedding day with him in eternity. And on that day, it'll be the most amazing sight any of us have ever seen. And there will not be hypocrisy, there won't be false teaching, there won't be error, there won't be gossip, there won't be any of the things that hurts us sometimes in church. All that will be gone and we'll be perfect. Now as a husband, 
We're commissioned to work towards that end, to work towards the constant beautification in every way, body, heart, soul, mind, in every way of our wives. Our wives are to be loved by us in such a way that that all splendor magnifies them. And they need it. And this is where I think the scripture is right on target for this generation. There is so much that is willing to deteriorate and willing to destroy and willing to bring down any individual. Guys, we suffer with this just as much as ladies, but there's everything imaginable that wants to constantly give a message of destruction because Satan, the devil, doesn't want any of us to understand how deeply loved we are. And so if he can destroy us, if he can destroy our faith, if he can destroy our trust, if he can destroy the design and we can believe that we're worthless, then Satan wins. Because that's not God's intention at all. God's intention is to present us in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. And guys, that's our lifelong goal is to work in our wives' hearts and lives in such a way that they are splendor. We're delighted in them. And we're actually comfortable when other people delight in them because our goal is to magnify them the way Christ magnifies the church. That's a comprehensive love. But it's also very pragmatic. If you look at the phrases between verse 28 and verse 33, it's, it's, it's real pragmatic. It changes illustrations. We've been talking about the bride of Christ as the church and all the things God's doing to work in us and make us who he designs us to be, who he wants us to be. And we're talking about now applying that into our wives, loving them in such a way that they are lifted up and encouraged and strengthened to become everything God wants them to be. It's a pragmatic love. In verse 28, husbands love their wives as their own bodies. Love your wife the way you love yourself. This is a popular principle in scripture. Jesus said that we're supposed to love one another the way we would love ourselves. We're supposed to apply the, the desires and the love we have for ourselves to the people around us. And now husbands, we are to love our wives as if they were an intricate part of us. And so it's reciprocal. Paul says, he who loves his wife loves himself. And I'm going to go on a ledge here, guys, and say if our wives are unhappy, there's a relatively good chance we're the reason. Because if we're loving them the way we would love ourselves, and if it is reciprocal in nature, if we love our wives, then that's a process of loving ourselves. I know it sounds really selfish, but it just makes sense. It's just practical. Love them. They will love us. We will be happier. It's a reciprocal relationship in its pragmatism. Do whatever they need for them. Take care of them. It's nurturing. If, if we're taking care of our own bodies, if we're taking care of ourselves, then as Paul says here, it, we, we provide for it and we care for it. We do that for ourselves and do that for our ladies. Be, be nurturing. Take care of them. Watch over them. Provide for them. 
Recognize their value and express that value. Recognize the difficulties or the weaknesses and step in. Chris Davis never made it to that goal line if the Auburn team hadn't forgot their positions and done everything to circle him and protect him from the Alabama team. It wouldn't have happened. Your wife isn't going to cross the finish line if you let her do it by herself. You're right there. You are her defensive tackle. You are on top of her and you are watching over her. You are caring for her. You are protecting for her. You are doing everything possible to nurture who she is as a person. And it's exclusive. Seems like kind of a no-brainer, but I actually think in this case, Paul is not actually talking about the exclusiveness that so many of us think of. He says, dating all the way back to Genesis in the beginning of time in the first marriage, that this reason in verse 31, which is a quote from Genesis chapter two, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. It doesn't take long in a relationship to become one. You'll laugh about it sometimes. Oh, you know. We, we think the same things, we talk the same things, we like some of the same things. Maintaining the independence sometimes is maybe a little bit more difficult. And accepting the fact that you look at a menu and like completely opposite things. And that's okay. Because you have needs, she has needs. And by the way, let me just go ahead and mention, Alan and Charlotte sitting right here, stage left, um, and next month, in September, you'll start seeing stuff in the next couple of weeks about it. We offer a marriage course about every other year called His Needs, Her Needs. Carrie and I went through this seminar, um, gosh, the first, we would have been married probably about four years at that time, um, and, and which just guaranteed, that was a long time ago. Um, it's a great seminar. It's a great conference. It's got great lessons. I, I practice some of those lessons to this day. This, this, I, I still do some of those things that I learned as a newlywed. Um, I still do them, and it still helps the relationship. But this leaving father and mother, this leaving to be joined to your wife and becoming one flesh describes every area of our lives. It works great when it's independent, Carrie doesn't want to go hunting with me. Don't pick on her about it. I've never driven her or encouraged her or told her she needed to go hunting with me. She lets me go. But the day that hunting becomes more important than her, I have violated scripture and I have violated our covenant. And some of you aren't hunters and so you're thinking to yourself, well, how could you ever let hunting be more important than your wife? Trust me. Just trust me. Learn from lessons. It may not be hunting. It could be football. It could be softball. It could be basketball. It could be work. It could be other friendship. I mean, there's so many things that are always creeping for the top slot. This is what we struggle with as Christians. Jesus wants exclusive hold on us to love us and to care for us and to present us in that splendid way in eternity. But even in our spiritual journeys, there's things always creeping for that top slot. I believe with all my heart that when the Genesis passage takes place and the Ephesians passage takes place, that process of leaving father and mother and becoming one, holding on to one another, clinging to one another, is literally how that's described, is more than sexual. 
I believe it's in every area of our lives. Nobody, for any reason, at any point in time, deserves more attention than our wives do. And I mean any area, even kids. And even if the kid, even if the wife's con, con, obsessed with the kids and thinks the kids are the reason she's living, no, that is unbiblical. And we'll see that next week because we get to talk about kids next Sunday. It seems like a natural progression. We're married, now we're having kids. It's a natural, normal thing. Nobody gets top billing except our wives. Nobody. And yes, there is the horrific effects of adultery. It should be avoided at all cost. But most couples I know aren't suffering with that horrific, disastrous event. Most couples I know are suffering because there's other things. Our jobs, our, our play, our activities, our wants, our desires that take top slot. Paul concludes this by saying, that's the wife's spot. Let her have it exclusively. And then he sums it up in verse 33. To each one of you, each one of you is to love his wife as himself. And the wife is to respect your husband. Guys, I'm convinced that if we live verses 25 through 33, our wives don't have any problems with verses 22 through 24. That's my experience. That's my conviction. I share that with you. But I'm not the only one. I close with this quote. I thought it was excellent. John Stott is a pastor in England. Great Bible scholar. He said, if headship means power in any sense, then it is power to care, not crush. It is power to serve, not dominate. It is power to facilitate self-fulfillment, not to frustrate or destroy it. And in all this, and in all this, the standard of the husband's love is to be the cross of Christ, on which he surrendered himself, even to death, in his selfless love, for his bride. It doesn't matter to me if she's been your bride for six months or she's been your bride for five decades, six decades, in some cases in our congregation, seven decades. Love her and care for her. Love her like Jesus loves her. I don't think there'll be any problems with the respect part. Father, help us in this area. This is so hard and Honestly, everything in culture today is against this. There is nothing in culture today that encourages solid, grounded, loving, sacrificial, foundational, cooperative marriages, working together for a greater cause. As we follow you, Father, let that following reflect in our most dear and most important relationships so that we in this life in love to a much greater degree than we started that relationship and even in that regard Father thank you thank you that every day I talk to widows and widowers who the only thing they would change is to be have their husband or their wife still with them let's end that way let's as guys glorify our wives in such a way that they are so loved, so radiant, so filled with splendor that people marvel at Christian marriage. And then our lives, wives, respect us and the harmony and the cooperation 
while distinct, different roles, by distinct, different positions, make us better. What's really great is that we're in this together.